Good morning. Welcome to you here and those of you that are online. And uh, this morning, uh, we're wrapping up our series on Joshua. We've spent the last several weeks looking at uh, the life of Joshua and the many different aspects of his life. And uh, we started uh, by looking at Moses and the legacy of Moses and as he hands off leadership to Joshua and uh, just the wholehearted faithfulness of Joshua and Pastor Paul last week looked at Caleb, uh, and we got to see how Caleb lived his life wholeheartedly um, for God. And this morning, we're going to wrap up uh, with the last words of Joshua. And I'm excited about what starts next week. Next week, we're going to launch into our summer series, and uh, our summer series is uh, Conversations with Jesus. And so throughout the summer, we're going to be looking at uh, the many different conversations that Jesus had with people, from his parents um, to Nicodemus to uh, Zacchaeus to Judas um, to uh, just the myriad of people, Mary and Martha, uh, those conversations that Jesus had with individuals. And so I hope that uh, you make plans to be with us uh, throughout the summer as we look at each of those conversations. And as I mentioned today, we're, we're looking at the last words of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 24 this morning, and uh, we're going to see that as Joshua communicates to the people these last words, uh, his desire is for the people to understand that the legacy that he inherited from Moses is now the legacy that he is passing along to the people. And he's, his desire for them, his desire for them is that they would love God wholeheartedly, that their choice would be to love him with all of their heart, soul, and mind. But beyond that, that there would be a desire in their hearts, not only just to proclaim that, but to desire to live that out each and every day. And then ultimately, that as they make that choice and as they live out that desire, that they are a witness of who God is to the world. And so if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 24, we're going to hone in on verse, starting with verse 14. Hear the words this morning. Therefore, Joshua speaks to the people, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in, in, in Egypt, and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which will you worship, the gods of your, gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me, Joshua says, and my family, we will worship the Lord. The people replied, we will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us all along the way. We went, and among all the peoples whose lands we traveled through, the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because He is our God. But Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship the Lord because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and sins. If you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you, harm and completely destroy you after he has been good to you. 
No, no, the people answered Joshua. We will worship the Lord. Joshua then told the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you yourselves have chosen to worship the Lord. We are witnesses, they said. Then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the people said to Joshua, we will worship the Lord our God and obey him. And on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people at Shechem and established a statute and ordinance for them. Father God, it's your word. It is true. It is powerful. And it speaks into the heart of every person that hears it. Father, it's your word that is transforming us. It's your word that has the power, the word, the spoken word to raise people from the grave, to make a way when there seems to be no way, to do the impossible and to make it possible, to bring about an empty, empty tomb, a salvation that comes through you. Father, this morning, may your word, may it speak powerfully to us. May it transform our hearts and our lives. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So here's what I enjoy about this last couple chapters. Time doesn't permit us to talk about all of it. But, but what Joshua does in chapter 23 is he gives a history review. And so Joshua's last words provide us with a history review for the people. And, uh, and I love history. Uh, I studied it in college. I thought I was going to be a history teacher and, and maybe someday professor or whatever it might be. And, and so I love history. And uh, when I was a teenager, I can remember my cousin, uh, he sat down with my grandmother and uh, he recorded uh, on a tape recorder. Uh, uh, those things don't exist much anymore, but... Uh, he recorded on a tape recorder the story of my grandmother's life. My grandmother was born in the early 1900s. She lived through the Depression. My grandpa and her, they, they worked hard. They established a life together with their four girls. They built their own house after saving and saving. And uh, I loved hearing my grandma tell her history, her story. It was this review of, of where my family had come from and who I was. Miranda's grandpa, uh, Grandpa Mac, uh, is a great storyteller. I love, I love sitting down. Anytime you sit down with Grandpa Mac, um, you mention one word and he has a story for it. He, he's kind of a, he's an old cowboy. He's rough and tumble around the edges and stuff, but a gentle heart. Uh, the first time I met Grandpa Mac, uh, I reached out to shake his hand, and he punched me in the gut. <laughs> and since it was our first meeting, and I was trying to impress everybody because I, I was falling deeply in love with Miranda, I just took it. <sighs> Even though inside I was like, oh my goodness, that hurt. But Grandpa Mac tells great stories. I love, you sit around and he just, I mean, just one right after another, he's reviewing history of himself. And that's what Joshua gives the people here in chapter 23. He reminds them of their history and, uh, and shares with them where they have been. Let me, let me just t touch on a few of these things in chapter 23. In verse 20, chapter 23, verse 3, Joshua tells the people, he contends, you have seen... You have seen for yourselves everything the Lord your God did to all these nations on your account because it was the Lord your God 
who was fighting for you. Joshua, in his last words, wants to remind the people, do you remember? I want you to remember how God has been with you. When we went into battle, do you remember who it was that was fighting for you? It was God who was fighting for you. Joshua contends with the people, don't forget, don't forget who it was that was fighting for you. In verse 6 of chapter 23, he says, be strong, be very strong, and continue obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you do not turn from it to the right or the left. He's going to echo this in chapter 24, this, this statement that he makes to the people. He wants to review for them, right? He wants to remind them of who God has been to the people. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. As I have led you, Joshua says, as I have shown you what God is doing and what he has done, do not turn to the right or the left. And this is the theme that Joshua continues with his final words. He, he sought to remind them there was no place, no place for divided loyalties among the people of God. Why? Because God had shown himself to be trustworthy. He had shown himself to be faithful. He had shown himself to be a grace-filled God with the people. There would, their, their doom would be in the eyes of Joshua that they would allow the tug of foreign gods to begin to take hold of them. Listen to what he says in verse 11 of 23. So diligently watch yourselves. Love the Lord your God. Diligently watch yourselves. Do, do you understand that Joshua wasn't just speaking to the people of his day? He speaks to us today. It reminds us that we have to be diligently watching ourselves. Again, we're speaking to the fact that there's this tug on our hearts to divide our loyalties. And Joshua says, be diligently watching yourselves. You can see the concern that Joshua has for the people. He tells the people, I know what it is to be human. I know what it is to have my heart tugged in multiple directions. I know what it's like to have my heart pulled away from God and towards other things. So diligently watch. He understands the heart of the people. The last words in 23 verse 14, he says this, you know with all your heart and all your soul that none of the good promises of the Lord your God made to you has failed. As Joshua speaks to the people, he tells them, you know, you know the history of who God has been. And as I am getting ready to leave this world, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that history, not so that you can uh, get to the place where you forget it, but that you get to the place that it reminds you of who God is and what he has done. I mean, how could the people argue with Joshua? It was true, right? It had, always been, had not always been easy for them. There had long been a desire among earlier generations, right, to return to Egypt. Uh, they told Moses, Moses, let's just go back to Egypt. It was so much better there than being in this wilderness where you have us right now. The promises of God took years and generations to come to be. But the promise of God never failed. He had been trustworthy and true, and he had been with the people. And Joshua knows they cannot argue with a history lesson that he provides for them. 
And so then we get to Joshua chapter 24. We're going to hone in on that passage that we read earlier. And what I want you to see this morning is three things. There's a choice, there's a desire, and then there's a witness. So let's jump into that this morning. First of all, Joshua's last words provide us a choice. The question before us is, who will we worship? Joshua says in chapter 24, verse 15, as for me, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. But he says before that, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today who you will worship. Or some translations say serve. The gods of your ancestors, they worship beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites, whose land you are living. Joshua tells the people there's two choices. Now, we don't really like that because we like gray area. If you're like me, um, you didn't much like, you, you enjoyed maybe multiple choice questions because it gave you a few other things. But when it came to like true, false, what, it has to be one or the other? I really like both and I don't know kind of thing. When Joshua speaks to the people and he says, choose for yourselves who you will serve, who you will worship, he gives them two choices. That's it. There's no gray area. It's either you choose the gods of your fathers who worship the one true God, or you can choose the Amorite gods whose land you're now living in. And Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua declares to the people, you have a choice, two options. There's no third or fourth choice. You know, it's not, uh, sometimes I feel like a nut, sometimes I don't. It's not an almond joy, mounds kind of day kind of choice kind of thing. All right? This is one, or t- one of these choices, right? When it comes to who we worship, Jesus addressed it. Jesus addressed it in Matthew 6, 24. He said this, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus was talking specifically about God or money, but the application is still there, right? Jesus says, you can't have two. You can't have divided loyalty. You can't say, I love God on one day and you don't love him the next day. God's looking for you to choose who you will worship, who on a daily basis is the presence that you will seek after, because you can't have both. You can't elevate money and elevate God. Because at some point, you're going you're gonna to choose one or the other. One's going to get higher elevation than the other. Joshua says the same thing. You're going to either elevate the gods of the Amorites, or you're going to elevate the one true God. Which is it going to be? James writes about it in James 4.4. James says, you adulterous people. Ugh, okay, thanks. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. James writes the same thing. He says, you have a choice. You can't be a friend of God and a friend of the world. Now we'll unpack that a little bit more here in just a minute. But you can't have this divided loyalty. You can't say you love God one day and you love the world the next. Now there's tension there, right? We're to love the world, to be in the world, but not of the world, right? This tension that exists. But on a daily basis, who am I going to choose? Am I going to choose the presence of God or am I going to choose the presence of the world to worship? James says you can't. You adulterous people. You're cheating on God when you choose the things of this world. Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 1, 12, 
Indeed, this is our boast. The testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially toward you, with godly sincerity and purity, not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. You see, it's that daily interaction with God's grace. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that on a daily basis, my choice somewhat gets mixed up in there. But it's God's grace. Paul says, we, we've chosen to serve you with all that we can in God's grace and his mercy in our lives. But Joshua's question to the people is, who will you worship? Whose presence will you seek on a regular basis? We, along with Joshua, would declare, I want my house. I want my house to serve and worship the Lord. We want to choose Christ first for our lives and our families. In fact, it's interesting that when we get married, more often than not, though the wedding may not be in a church building, we want to choose a pastor to conduct that wedding. Why? Why do we choose pastors, ministers of the gospel, to conduct our weddings? Because we want our marriages to be lived under the covenant of who God is, under God's direction. We want our homes to be godly homes. We want to be able to declare like Joshua, this is who we worship in our house. However, we know many things battle for our worship. And at the center of that worship is our technology. I, like you, declare that our phones, our devices, our tablets are nothing more than necessary components for our days. And yet they demand, they demand so much from us. Each morning and every hour until our heads hit the pillow, we make the choice about who we will worship. Whose presence in my life will I seek today? Author by the name of Justin Early has written a book entitled The Common Rule. And the tag of the book gives you some insight into where he's going in the pages. The tag of the book is The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. I want you to hear what he writes specifically about being present with God and with others, but also what is so indicative of our current culture. He writes this, think of all the ways we now use our smartphones to fracture presence. Working while vacationing, checking emails on a date, sexting with someone we'll never meet, taking calls while playing with our kids, interrupting dinner with news notifications, posting a conflict instead of talking to someone about it, taking pictures of people in distress instead of helping them, taking a picture of someone who doesn't know it, watching a video of someone who doesn't want to be watched, curating our whole lives on a media feed in order to be with everyone except the ones we are actually next to. He says this, these are all ways of fractured presence. We hide from each other and we hide from God. We long for the face of God, but we can't bear his gaze either. Who will you worship? What choice will you make? Whose presence will you seek on a daily basis? Joshua says to the people, you have a choice before you. Choose this day who you will worship. The legacy we leave is a choice of who we worship. Who will be our God? The gods of this world or the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, the Samaritan woman? In Deuteronomy 10, 12, 
at a time where the covenant was between God and man was being renewed, the question was asked, what is it that the Lord asks of you? What does the Lord, your God, ask of you? Fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, to love him and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Church, we sit here this morning and you would, you would with me nod your head in agreement with that statement. I want to choose to worship God with all my heart and with all my soul. I want that to be the declaration of my life. And you know as well as I do that we will nod our heads in this place and tomorrow we will choose a different path of worship. Because that's who we are. It's by God's grace that he forgives and redeems us and welcomes us back in even when our choice isn't to choose him. As we walk through these days, is this statement and even Deuteronomy 10, 12, what guides our worship? Do we love him? Not simply with the nods of our head, but with the movements of our hearts. You see, when was the last time you stood in awe of God? When's the last time you worshiped the holy God? This is the choice we are called to make, not to be lukewarm, but to be feverishly and radically obedient to the one and only true God. So you have a choice. Joshua's last words also point to a desire. The question is, is my yes my yes? When Joshua poses the question to the people, he says, who will you worship? The people say, oh, Joshua, you know we are going to worship God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And when I read that, because I know the history of the Israelite people, I think about uh, when, when you ask your kids to go do something, right? You, as a parent, you've been there, you've asked your kids, hey, will you go clean your room? And they go clean their room and they come back and you say, did you clean your room? They say, oh yeah, dad, we cleaned our room. And you walk up there and you're like, where? Where did you clean your room? You said you cleaned your room, but I don't see any evidence of that. Oh, we did it. I moved this shirt over here and I moved this over there and I... I kind of straightened my bed, right? That's kind of the imp- implication you get here with the, the Israelite people when Joshua poses the question to them. They're like, yes, we will. We will worship God. But Joshua knows. Joshua knows that there will come times in their lives where they will get tugged away from God. Will their desire truly match their choice? Does our desire match our choice. Here the ex- expectations are pretty clear from Joshua. He says in Joshua twenty four twenty, if you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after he has been good to you. Now listen, Joshua, that's a little harsh. That's a little tough. Is really, is really God going to do that? I mean, he's a good God, right? And Joshua has a history to review, right? He can review the history and say how God had acted. Pastor Paul mentioned it last week, or two weeks ago when we talked about Jericho. We don't know, understand all the implications of that, but how is it that when Joshua and the people walk into Jericho, they're, they're to completely destroy the people, down to the women and children? It's hard for us to reconcile that. Because we see God as good, 
but we don't always see the wrath part of God, or we don't even want to acknowledge the wrath part of God. But Joshua tells the people, here's, here's the desire that you need to seek after. Your desire has to match your choice, because if you abandon God, then you're going to incur the wrath of God. And Joshua says, I don't want you to experience that. Church, we don't want people to experience that, right? Our desire should be that I'm going to live wholeheartedly like Caleb and Joshua and others. I'm going to live wholeheartedly in the grace of God because that's my desire. I don't want to turn to the left or the right. I want to, I want to center on who God is and His desire for my life. I want to be purposeful in my pursuit of Him. I want my worship to acknowledge Him. I want my yes to truly be yes, not yes on Sunday, but yes every day. Not yes because I'm in this room and I expect others to acknowledge that as well, but my yes because I want the world to know what my yes is. For the people of God, I believe their desire was to worship God. Just as our desire in this room would be to worship God with all our heart, soul, and mind. However, we know a little something about our yes being more like sorta, maybe, when it can be convenient or when I want to make it my priority. Yes, I want to serve God. I want to worship Him in, in spirit and in truth, and I want to serve Him with all of my heart. But we know sometimes that desire is a sorta or a maybe or not right now because this is taking more priority over who God is in my life. We know that dilemma that comes into our lives. Take, for instance, I have this desire to wake up in the morning, start my day with some good reading from God's Word, enjoy a, a good breakfast, maybe even get some exercise. Who am I kidding? I don't really care about exercise. It just makes for the good illustration. Maybe I get some exercise in before I really get rolling with my day. This is my desire my desire. And the night before, I'm wholly committed to this idea. I even set my alarm with some annoying sound. I set it because I'm wholly committed to that. My desire is for that to be the course of my morning. But then the alarm goes off. And my bed is warm. My eyes are heavy. And in that moment, my desire to do all those other things gives way to a completely different desire going back to sleep. You see, this is how we walk through our days, right? We have this desire. On Sunday in this place, as Rod leads us in worship, and we're on fire for that, and our desire is, yes, God, yes. And then the alarm sounds on Monday morning. And is my yes truly yes? Does my desire on a Sunday match my desire on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. In my life, my desire has been to serve God with, with everything that I am. And at times, it's been about being the very best Christian I could be. To get my patches and my trophies because my desire to serve God and to worship Him was that. But sin distracts. Sin gets in the way of my desires far too often. I imagine it gets in the way of your life as well. 
that my desire is not necessarily linked to how many Christian good things I can do. Rather, my desire is ultimately tied to my obedience. My choice is to worship God alone, and my desire is to be obedient to all His ways. But a strange thing can happen on our way to obedience. Jerry Bridges uh, refers to our level of obedience in his book, The Discipline of Grace, in either terms of cruise control or race car obedience. He describes cruise control obedience to be that where we rise in our spiritual obedience just enough to compare favorably with others who, who we deem more spiritual. But we do not want to exceed them in our obedience for we might outshine them. Thus we push the cruise control button of our hearts, ease back and relax. He writes this, we don't have to watch the speed limit signs of God's word And we certainly don't have to experience the fatigue that comes with seeking to obey Him with all our heart, soul, and mind when we hit cruise control obedience. However, he said there's race car obedience. And race car obedience is living out our desire to actually love God with our heart, soul, and mind. It's our dedication to Hebrews 12, 14 to make every effort to be holy. Our, or 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, make every effort to add to our faith the very facets of Christian character. Race car obedience is our desire to delight in God, to eagerly anticipate fellowship with Him during the quiet time and even throughout our day. This becomes the desire behind our choice. Will our desire be to delight and fervently pursue fellowship with Him? Because the outgrowth of our choice and our desire is what Joshua speaks to in the latter part of our passage this morning. His last words tell us about a witness. What will people see? What will people see? Joshua then told the people in 24, 22, you are witnesses against yourselves that you yourselves have chosen to worship the Lord. We are witnesses, they said. Joshua reminds the people, If this is your choice, if this truly is your desire, then in this place we are making a declaration. We are marking this occasion with a reminder of what you have said before God, before me and all the people. Your life, its choice and its desires become the witness that people see. When my yes actually looks like something else, it's a visible expression of what I really choose and desire to the world. You and I are witnesses to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors. What we place as our choices and our desires is what they see. When we're choosing other things over God, the world sees that. They're paying attention to those things. When you choose your work over your family and you say, I desire to serve God in my family, they see that. When you choose money and power over God, the world sees that. When you step into this place and you walk out of this place, the world sees you. And Joshua says to the people, the people will see you. And if your choice and your desire don't match what you declare, people will see that. When you say you love God with all your heart and all your mind, but you don't worship Him, people will see that. 
Joshua declares to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves. We are witnesses. Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses. The privilege of sharing the gospel with the world is on us. God has granted us that privilege to share with the world what it looks like. Not our perfect lives, but our messed up lives that stand in God's grace to the world around us. No, I don't always choose the right way. World, I don't always choose God over you. That's the truth of who I am. But I know God's grace. And on a daily basis, I am desiring with all my heart to become more like him, to be transformed by his word, by who he is, by the resurrection power of who God is. That's my desire to the world. You will be my witnesses, Acts 1.8. Not a certain few or just the 12, but the implication is for all of us. We are witnesses. The choice and the desire would all be fine. But what we do with those choices has a message to share with the world. Our delight in God and His Word inevitably leads us to our delight and love for a lost and dying world. The privilege we have as believers is not simply to hold tight to what we know and that I know a bunch of stuff about God. I've got my badges, I've got my patches, I've got my trophies. Not to hold on tight to those, but my desire is that the world might see what God has done in and through me. They might see His love and His grace and His forgiveness. It's not to hold on to stuff in the corners of our lives. It's to be lived out. The love we enjoy from God is a love that is to be shared with our friends and our family and our neighbors. The Bible reminds us our witness is not in how we vote. It's not in who we root for. It's not what consists of our bucket list or even where we go to church. The Bible reminds us our witness is how we love those around us. Jesus spoke to it in John 13, 34 and 35. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, by what? By your love for me and others, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What Jesus said is not that you you will know them because they're Christians. Be very clear. He doesn't mention Christians. He says, you are my disciples. Not about being a Christian. It's about being his disciples and how we love God and love others. Does your choice and your desire reflect to the world a witness that shows them that you love them? That you care about them? That you would rather see them enjoy the eternity of heaven than the wrath of hell? Does your love for them cross over your differences? Does your love for them consider them a child of God? Does your love for them communicate to them that you are a disciple of God? How are we caring for the world around us? How are we being missional not only to the remote parts of the world, but to the parts of our community. We can talk a good game. We can say we are committed, wholly devoted followers of Christ and our our daily pursuits show no evidence of such a desire. We place tons of things of this world that it offers us before us to worship and honor way before we put God in His rightful place. 
And I stand before you this morning acknowledging the fact that I am as guilty as anyone of such, such adultery in my life. I make life about ensuring I have what the world wants me to have and less about caring for the heart of my neighbor. It's not about guilting us into being a better Christ follower. It's simply about making my yes be yes. It's laying down my life for the beauty and the glory of the one who has already laid down his life for me. It's not about pursuing perfection, but it's about pursuing the one who is perfect. In Galatians 2.20, Paul writes these words that echo in a New Testament perspective the stance that Joshua took with his family. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by faith in all my efforts and all the things that I can do. No, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, this is where we live. My choice is in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. My desire is to love him who loved me before I was lovable with all my heart, soul, and mind. Because I want my witness to the world to be Christ and him only. I want people to see him before they see me. I want people to hear him before they hear me. I want them to know his love before my love extends to them. So, church, what's your choice? Who will you worship? Whose presence will you seek? Church, what's your desire? Yes, be yes. And what's your witness to the world? Let's pray. Father God, I know in my own life the challenges that lay before me. How easy it is to allow my heart to get tugged away from you. How easy it is to watch the world before me and say, oh, I really want that. This morning we're reminded by Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve, we will worship the Lord the one true God. It extends to our homes, but it also extends to your home, your church, that our yes would be our yes, that our desire would be to wholly and completely love you with our heart, soul, and mind, that our witness to the world is you and only you, that those who are watching online, those that come into this place, they would know you because of how we love those around us. Father, I pray for those who have yet to step into the grace and love of a relationship with you. Father, this morning, this morning, if they feel a sense of your presence and they've said, I have, I have chosen the world's way far too long, this morning, as for me and my house, we declare, I, I want to serve the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind. In a simple prayer, they just say, God, reveal yourself in my life. Make it real to me today. From this day forward, I declare as a witness to the world, I will live for you wholly and completely. 
process begins there. For those of us, for those of us who have walked with you for a long time, for those of us that have sought your face at different times in our lives, in those times when we have walked away from you this morning, we declare, God, let our yes be yes. May our desire be, when we set that alarm in the morning, that today we declare, I will live for you. May the world see you through me. As a church, we have a witness to the world. God, let them see you through us. This is our prayer this morning. As we worship you with our heart, soul, and mind, what we declare in this place, let it be true of us each and every day of our lives. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.